Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. What's happened, Derek? Not much. Really? Not much. Well, you know, same old, same old. Life happens, right? All so right. Had a had a Zoom call for a parent teacher night, which is. I guess oh, the new normal. Remember when they used to be in person? <laughs> well, actually, this one was supposed to be in person, but uh, the teacher was sick. She said, "I don't have COVID," but, uh, but at least we got to talk to her. But you don't get to go in there and sit in the little the little desk tiny kids' chairs and look at all <laughs> the beautiful artwork <laughs> on the walls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You yeah. lucky SOB. I, I bet you miss all these parent-teacher stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> pins in the eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I really don't miss? <laughs> is that? all the... Well, Ariane... I do miss it, but I don't miss it. Ariane used to be in like every band known yeah. to mankind. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the spring band thing. There's mm. the, the fall thing. There's Valentine... There's Christmas... Um, or no, no the, the holiday... Um, thing at school. Yeah, yeah the Christmas pageant or yeah, whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, you got to go to that. And, oh man, the last thing I want to do after working all day is come home, rush dinner, and then go sit and listen to fifty <laughs> kids try to sing. But you have then, to be there. You have to be there. Then play. How disappointed would your child instruments. be if you didn't show up? Daddy didn't come to my pageant. Because they're all up there looking. Where's dad? Where's dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just raise one finger and go, you're number one. <laughs> <laughs> just keep be careful which finger. Yes. <laughs> Give the little wave. And, yeah. I, I I I miss them, but I yeah. don't. <laughs> sort of a sorry, not yeah. sorry thing. You know? But if he's like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go watch my kid and leave. So can my kid be on first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got things to do. <laughs> and you know, every single parent in that auditorium is thinking the same thing. <laughs> All right, the kindergarten kids are on first. So, boom, we watch it and boom, we're gone. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, my kid's in grade 12. I'm going to hang myself at about grade six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're right in the middle of all of that, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. 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 Stella's doing band. She's playing the what? clarinet. Who is she? Yeah. It's like, why clarinet? Why not like something like a saxophone? That was one of the options. See, Ariana plays both. Yeah. She Well, she was going to the Royal Conservatory of Music for yeah. for the clarinet. She still has hers and everything. We were... See, it, it was unfortunate. It was the, it, very bad timing. But uh, I'm, I'm sure the other people will see other negative aspects. But for me, bad timing was that uh, I had started... They were both of them were about to start piano lessons. Stella was in was had was in guitar lessons and stuff, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. It's like now we have to build up momentum. Oh, that reminds me. So I have <laughs> now. This is my tale of woe. Whoa, <laughs> tale of woe. I managed to get my hands on. It was free, but it was a stand-up piano. It's a Bowmanville Piano Company piano built in Bowmanville, Ontario. And I was so excited when I got this. The woman says, I just needed to go. You can have it for free. You just got to take it away. Absolutely. So anyways, I had, uh, what, about a month ago, I had a professional piano tuner come in because I was like, okay, we can start doing lessons. So I had a piano tuner come in. He played it for about a minute. He says, oh, 
There's nothing I can do for this. What? What do you mean nothing you can do? He says, I'm not going to waste your money. This, this is, it can't be tuned. It's like, what do you mean? Everything can be tuned. He said, it's not worth the cost. He said, he can tell that everything's off by a couple octaves. And so he said, it's just seasonal. It's really old. It's over a hundred years old. So he said, he, he recommends that I just get rid of it. It's like, what? <laughs> and I'd be willing to take it off your hands, he says. <laughs> well, no, knowingly. he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He says he said it's it's not worth tuning. It's like my heart was crushed. I have this hundred and he actually pulled it up, he knew what month and so I think it was built in like nineteen eleven or something. Well keep it. Because it's nice to put stuff on. <laughs> That's what we do. There's Christmas decorations on it right now. But I will tell you this. <laughs> When Ariana was going, I mean, she's serious about doing the clarinet and that. She's going to all these different um, competitions yeah, and yeah. stuff. If there was a hundred kids in that competition, yeah. ninety of them played piano. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, okay. Now in our junior piano group, we have, and there would be like fifty names, yeah. and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> Can you just do all the other instruments first so we can all leave? Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> For the final contestant of the evening on clarinet. Yeah. If my kids played an instrument adequately, I'd be proud no matter what. Oh, yeah. Ariana used to used to love it. We thought she was actually going to get into like being a music teacher or something. But same with the art that she does, like all the paintings. Yes, she's good She at does it. it because she enjoys it and thinks, if that's I good. were to do this for a living. I would hate it. I would lose my interest <laughs> in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. it. So. so she'll play it once in a while or mm-hmm. paint and, you know, um, just for, for fun. Yeah. And not because she has well, That's to, good. Right. Which, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Which is really cool. So. Anyway, my tale of woe. Anybody want a Bowmanville piano? Yeah. Free of charge. <laughs> you just got to pick it up. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I don't know, is cast iron recyclable? I imagine it is. So there's a, it's, it's the thing weighs like five or 600 pounds or something. I don't know how much it weighs. A thousand pounds. It's heavy. Yeah. It's very, very heavy. Yeah. So they don't float away. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the concern. So no one steals them. <laughs> Back in the day, the old... 1915 piano robberies. <laughs> yes. Middle of the night. Yeah. It was rampant. <laughs> <laughs> People all through Bowmanville would wake up in the morning, their front door flung open and their piano Missing. gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All there was was a track down the front yeah. yard to where the carriage was. <laughs> I am going to try and get a second opinion. I'm going to get another piano tuner in. And say, hey, I'm not going to tell him anything. Or maybe I will. I'll say, hey, this other guy said this. Tell me something. Just because maybe somebody's going to tune it and say, ah, it's worthless piece of garbage. But I'll, I'll take his money. Tune a piano, tune a fish in there. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, the piano tuner thing is, too, is uh, he came. He said, oh, I can't do anything. So he didn't charge me anything. He drove all the way from. Well, he's got to be honest about that yeah, then, right? Yeah. I, I sort of take that. Because he could have just tuned it and I would have known better. Turn it into something. Like a paperweight? <laughs> no, like like cut like like a storage rack. Like a oh, uh, this would be a great place for all the books you don't read. So this make it into like a bookshelf <laughs> sort of thing. This reminds me. Do you know the old the old box style TVs from the fifties and sixties? Yeah. So a buddy of mine, he uh, this was pretty cool, and I think that's genius. So he just uh, took out the 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 tube. The, the tube, put in a sheet of glass. Had the bo- had you know built a box and 
he filled it with sand and a, an old wagon and stuff like this, and yeah. he had a lizard in there. So yeah. <laughs> you could sit there and watch the lizard playing around like you're watching TV. <laughs> What's on? Uh, it's a Western. <laughs> it's a Western. <laughs> Again, he's into Westerns. <laughs> I thought that oh, that's brilliant. But you could be sitting, you know, you sit at the bench with the keys right there. Yeah. And in front of you, it's just flat. Yeah. Well, if you take that out and use it, make shelves that fit in there, mm-hmm. it'd be a bookshelf. <laughs> For all my books. A really pretty cool bookshelf. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Make sure there's a cover and you can put your weed in there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, we I got Anywho. I totally sidetracked us. Yeah. So other than that, nothing new. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were they're doing work. We got this one of those big uh, electric um thingies boxes out front of our building. Oh yeah, yes, yes. And we got a phone call from the hydro saying, "Yeah, we're gonna." Shut your power off to the building for a few hours on Tuesday, like seven in the morning till eleven, because mm-hmm. we got to look at it. Apparently, I hadn't been touched in like thirty years or something. Like that. <laughs> we got to so, come and inspect this. Yeah, thing. we come and check it out, update it, and whatnot. So, I was prepared. Apparently, <laughs> you know, you get enough notice, you figure, okay, well, we're gonna, yeah, make sure I got a little lamp turner, you know, electric light or something, or flashlight yeah. or whatever, more than just what's on your phone. No. No, no. Everybody's showing up, walking around with their phone like a bunch of zombies. Yeah. What's going on? So you walk by my office. I've got my laptop. I got my phone plugged into the, one of those uh, batteries, the the, phone, the the charging battery blocks. Power, power block, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got my coffee there. I've got the my laptop. I got a little lantern, battery-powered lantern, <laughs> a rechargeable thing with Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> You walk by my office and it's like I'm doing like all my work, work by candlelight sort of thing. But <laughs> because it still has the, the lantern I have has that sort of cast to yeah, it, yeah. right? And they're just looking at me like if anybody was going to do this, it's going to be you. <laughs> You're there's, prepared. There's one in every group and I'm happy to say I'm the one. <laughs> I'm getting all my work done and everybody else is wandering around going, I can't do anything. I can't do it. I don't. I didn't bring a laptop. I, I can't get on my computer. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't check emails. Yeah. Here I am working away. Get all my work done. So they're staying late, and I walked out early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Boy Scouts motto? Always, be always prepared. be prepared. There you go. That's right. Okay, love. We'll do our best. We'll dip, dip, dip. We'll dob, dob, dob. Yeah. When I was in Boy Scouts, when I like in the seventies, man, I still remember that. I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's just sad. That's sad. That's sad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now I can drink beer while saying it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All righty. So what's happening this week? You've pulled up a lot of stuff here. Your Didn't research. I? And and as people will learn, I think. So I'll tell you everybody right now, pay attention because uh, Sean seems to do his uh, research for the podcast based on how difficult words are to pronounce. <coughs> here we Prepare go. for a, a absolute butchering <laughs> of names from around the world. Yeah. That's this week's theme. <laughs> how many words can I butcher? And we don't do it on purpose either. It's just, you know. It just comes up. There's some pretty cool stuff that happens around the world, and they have these massive names that, uh, you know, aren't like Smith or Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Polynesia. 
Polynesian pride a three-day canoe voyage in mid-Pacific. Uh, the causes are worthy. The course is daunting. 500 kilometers, 300 miles, across a stretch of the Pacific Ocean in a large canoe. That's incredible. Isn't it? Wow. It's the Hokey Mai Challenge, which start uh, starts uh, in Rapa Nui, which we all know as Easter Island. Easter Island. Uh, the event consists of a canoe voyage in which nine Rapa Nui's, two Chileans, and one Hawaiian seek to raise awareness about the importance of women in the world, urge protection of the environment, and celebrate the union of the islands of Polynesia. Polynesia has always been one of those things that... Okay, this is going to sound really weird. When I think of the world, I always start with North America right in front of me. And except for Hawaii, which is right off the the coast... I always look at everything being going west to east. Okay. So even though Japan is like right there. Yeah. Off to my left. Yeah. I always think of it going around the other way. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, Polynesia is way over that way. No, it's right there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I know it sounds kind of weird, but that's just, I got to... I don't know, a right-handed brain that goes around the world that way. (laughs) Um, Twelve athletes have been training six days a week since mid-September, preparing for a voyage that will take them from Rapa Nui to Moto Matiru Hiva. Nice work. Thank Thank you, thank you. Another island in the mid-Pacific that belongs to Chile. Uh, Chile or Chile? Depends. Yes, Chile. Potato, potato. Won't be easy. Three days and three nights, says Jill Bordes, who has lived in Polynesia for three decades, devoting much of his time to rowing. Uh, the Hoki Mai pursues three goals. The first, to honor canoeing in Polynesia, uh, which has been practiced for centuries. The second relates to the environment. Moto Motiro Hiva is an uninhabited island, but its lands and the surrounding waters have been affected by pollution. So that's the environmental part of it. Third purpose relates to gender equality. The team will carry a small female moai, one of the ancient statues of Easter Island's famous for those big ones that are buried. Uh, They're going to have a small one to raise awareness about the importance of women in the world. And a bigger statue carved by a local artisan will be taken to Moto Matiru Hiva in March. During the voyage, rowing will be done in relays. Groups of six will row for about four hours, and then will be one will be replaced uh, the next shift. So those who need to, to rest will do so on a Chilean Navy ship escorting the canoe. So six of them will paddle, and when it's time to change, yeah. then six will come yeah. off the ship. Boarding party. And then the six crew. will go back on, yeah. Everybody rests, eats, and sleeps on the Navy ship. Yeah. Training has been hard, especially for those of us who are less experienced, says Kunturi Eitan, a 36-year-old historian. On training days, they often start before dawn to get accustomed to the darkness they will face during much of the Hokimai. We practice rowing at night. We practice getting little sleep. We practice training every day. Gym rowing, gym rowing, gym rowing. Wow. Repeat as necessary. 500 kilometers. I'm trying to imagine that. Like three days, three nights. It's basically a, like a, you know, typically 100 kilometers an hour here. It's like, well, it's a five-hour trip. 
Yeah. Right? But, wow, that's... They're going to be paddling, rowing, 24 hours a day. The only time they're going to stop is to switch a cruise. Well, they said rowing, but when I saw a picture of them practicing... They'd be paddling. They're paddling. They, yeah, it's like, canoe, a, yeah. like a Hawaiian war canoe or something. Sort of deal, yeah. Yeah. Without the big thingy on the side. I didn't see any big... Uh, um, outrigger? Outrigger on the side. Spirituality and sacredness are pervasive in Rapa Nui, including with cooking rituals and songs about their history. Sports also incorporates spirituality. Several days before the trip, the canoe built for the Hoki Mai was blessed with a umu, which involves cooking underground with hot stones in a sacred ceremony. I've seen videos of that. Mm-hmm. Their cultural legacy is also linked to the Moai, like the one they'll carry with them on the trip. Uh, the Moai are perhaps the most recognizable symbols of Rapa Nui, like we say, the big heads on, on Easter Island. And the bond between neighboring islands is still strong. Rapa Nui, Tahiti, Hawaii, and even New Zealand share language similarities and other features. With the Hokimai, there's also the expectation that these ties uh, will expand beyond Polynesia. And that's why the Rapa Nui and the Hawaiian will row with two continental Chileans, as the locals identify those who come from the Chilean mainland in South America. Uh, the idea of the canoe is also union. Six people doing the same thing to go forward. The union of cultures, and that is why people from Chile are going to row uh, to show that together we can move towards a better future. I don't really know the history if there's some bad blood between them. I don't know, yeah. But it, it sounds like there's some, been some tension. I, I've never really gotten into that part of the history of of it. So w- it starts on Easter Island, Rapa Nui. Where does it end? Moto Matiru Hiva. Moto. I'm trying to find it on this map. It's another island in the so, chain. <laughs> there's Easter Island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like it, the island is so small that to see the island, you can't see the. It's like it's in the middle. Well, I'll of go nowhere. 500 kilometers away. Which direction? They didn't say. <laughs> I just look for big names, Derek. I don't look for anything else. That's got a big name. Has to do with paddling. Let's talk about it. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my credentials for a good thing. It's amazing how much oceans we have, eh? Yeah. So much water. Yeah. So that sounds pretty cool that they're yeah. they're going to do that, and that's impressive. You know, these people that do these big open water things open like ocean, that. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I mean, you think about, oh, yeah, that's a big lake we're going to go on. But <laughs> like I a, know. Like, <laughs> like the, it's never more than like, you know, uh, you know, this, we're going to cross a two kilometer stretch of this lake. And it's like, that's crazy. I've never been so far from land before. Yeah. That's, that's, it's <laughs> yeah. only two kilometers stretch. And then you <laughs> thought, well, yeah, well, we're, we're going 500 kilometers out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if things go bad, they got that Navy ship to help them out. <laughs> true, true, true. That'll be cool. <laughs> That'll be cool that they're doing that. Wow. Uh, Nautic Paddle. We'll stay. Actually, we're, we'll go to this side of the. We're going to Paris. Let's yes. go to Paris. Go to Europe. We'll leave Rapa Nui. And for Europe. We'll leave Rapa Nui and go to Europe. Paris. Ah, uh, fall in Paris. 
Yes. Everybody wants to be there springtime in Paris. And this just happened. This happened last weekend. Mm-hmm. We've never heard about this before. And then all of a sudden. I know. Hey. 12th annual? A 12th annual. Yeah. 12th annual Nautic Paris Boat Show. Uh, there, so the, the 12th. 12. Yeah. And you can tell they. 12 and? It's a translation there problem. some translation issues. Not the 12th. It's it was 12. the 12th and. 12th and. It's like the second. 12 and. With yeah. 10. <laughs> 1, 2 and. The 12th and. Nautic Paddle. It happened on December 4th, organized by the Nautic Festival. Uh, it was it was done for the, the, the Nautic Paris Boat Show. Race took place in Paris on the Seine River between the National Library of France and the Port Javel Bass. I'm just guessing at that one. A thousand paddlers consisting of professionals and amateurs were in attendance for the competition. It's the world's largest paddle race, they say. All stand-up paddle boards. That's crazy. Thousand of them. Mm-hmm. Thousand and of they limit solo. The, they, yeah, they limit the number of people. Uh, it is prohibited to stand up paddleboard on the Seine River in Paris, except on this particular occasion. So the nautic paddle is a unique opportunity for a one-time experience. I'm not sure I understand the concept of banning stand up paddleboards on the Seine, 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 Seine River. But I think it's because there's like, they have those big boats and stuff that go oh, through, right? So, so yeah, you navigate, clog it up. navigational issues and yeah. Barges are heading through. Yeah. Um, so they have both the amateur and the professionals. And you have to sign in as a solo paddler. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to just go do this and go have fun, paddle with a large, massive horde of people. Or you can get a few of your buddies together and go, hey, let's go do this as a group and we'll have fun and we'll go have beers mm-hmm. afterward that sort of deal right two routes to choose from route number one is the leisure division which yeah, count me in approximate <laughs> distance of 11 kilometers okay count me out uh <laughs> route two the pro division distance of 14 kilometers with the additional challenge of a circuit around two islands huh there's only three three kilometers difference between the two routes, but I think it's because there's you got to do you got to do things, this loop right? loop around the islands. Yeah. It's possible to participate in the event solo or as a group for people maximum. In both cases, each participant will have to have their own paddle. There is a lottery to determine the participants. One person registered solo will have the same likelihood of being selected as a team of four. Well, because only the captain of the group puts in his name. So you can do a single or a group of four. The group of four is you can go as a group of four in the leisure division or the pro division. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I, I, right. I was trying to get the concept of what this, uh, what they're getting at here. Yeah. So you're either, you're either doing it leisure or you're doing it pro, which, which one do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So now they had, I, I think it was a, an error, a typo. 800 riders for the leisure division, 100 riders for the pro division. 800 plus 100 is 900, and is they're that, saying there's 1,000. So it to I changed it to 200 thinking it's got to be a typo. <laughs> 200 riders for the pro division. Yeah. 
if I'm missing something or it didn't translate properly or something where, yeah. where it is 100, that's my boo-boo. Um, so between 900 and 1,000 <laughs> paddlers here. Huh. So, yeah, so if if you have three buddies and you guys are going to go as a team and you're the captain of the team, you put your name in. I don't put my name in. John Van Berger doesn't put his name in and Alan Drummond doesn't put his name in even though that were the team. Yeah. You put your name in. And that way they pick out your name. That means all four of us go. Right? If you're going by yourself, they pull out your name and you go by yourself if you register as a solo. So uh, I'm reading... Now this is, I believe it's translated from French, so that might be causing the... The difficulty, but uh, so they say you could participate in the event solo or as a group of four. Right. Four people maximum. Right. In both cases, each participant will have their own paddle. Because sometimes there's big paddle boards. That's what I'm getting. So it sounds so like- So if you, you got one have, of those big massive paddle boards where four, four people, people sit on it, everybody ha- on the boat has to have so their own Everybody gets their own paddle, but you don't necessarily get your own paddle board. Right. But when I was looking at the pictures, okay, there they're... was only a couple massive, yeah, multi-people paddle hmm. boards. Everybody, it looked like the majority of people had their own paddle board. Could you put an outboard on your paddle paddle board? Just blow everybody away. <laughs> Be the last guy at the back. Give everybody a head start. Just mow them on down. Watch out for my wake. <laughs> Uh, some stats, uh, 500 participants were in 2015 and it's increased to a thousand in 2021. And the are going to do the, uh, th- they did a thousand again this year. Yeah. 41 nationalities were represented. 40 years old is the average age of the paddlers. Well, there you go. Right. 27 of the 29 bridges in Paris are on the race circuit. Oh, it's starting to sound even more interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool, though. Yeah. It, it's pretty cool. It, it looks really cool to go out and do something like that. So first week of December. Hmm. Next year. We should uh, get a plan together. Then we can go to Amsterdam. And if you miss the lottery, you could still be in Paris. So it's win-win. Uh, ah, my team didn't get picked. I missed out on the lottery, but I, I'm in Paris, so that's okay. Oh, you can get your charcuterie boards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can't go paddling, but Derek got a charcuterie board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the Louvre. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sitting under the Eiffel Tower, eating his charcuterie yeah, boards. Yeah. <laughs> I have a nice clear. Yeah. Uh, all righty. So here's... <laughs> this is this is the next one that we can butcher the words, right? <laughs> so I'm going to be listening closely as you read this first sentence. Deputy Commissioner Sumit Kimta inaugurated a kayaking expedition on the Chandra Braga River in Coxar, Lahal, and Spiti, which is in India. <laughs> yes. And I Googled those names to wrote <laughs> Yeah. I got these. You have notes this, in the columns. I got notes, like <laughs> phonetic notes to say how it's done. Lahal and Spiti. Kimtis uh, sent off a team of five kayaking experts from the Atai Bahari Vajpayee Institute of Mountaineering and Allied Sports. The A-B-V-I-M-A-S. 
which is probably easier than saying that every time. <laughs> he said that it was for the first time that a kayaking expedition was included in winter sports in the district. Oh, so it's the inaugural kayak expedition. Mm-hmm. So 75 uh, uh, kilometers. 75 kilometer. Yep. Okay. Uh, he says the 75 kilometer expedition was being organized with them, the joint collaboration of the tourism department and the sports department to celebrate 75 years of independence. The kayaking expedition team will spread awareness among people from Domi Moor to Udaipur, Udaipur, uh, to encourage youth to take part in winter sports. He added that activities of kayaking, snow skiing, ice skating, and other sports would be organized at Sisu on World Ice Skating Day in coordination with the Himachal Ice Skating Association. <laughs> I, I just find it... Uh, I don't want to distract from it, but it's, I always I always wondered about... So, skiing, skating. No, you got to call it snow skiing and ice skating. Yeah. As... Um, yeah, because they don't call it roller skating. No, it's skating. No, now it's, it's rollerblading nowadays. Rollerblading, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, that's what they're doing. So well, I mean, you look at the figure, the Ice Figure Skating Association, right? Yeah. They got ice in that. So was there another event that this is tied to, or is this a brand new event all on its own? I think it's a whole, it's just a winter sports um so it's a it's festival. A, yeah, so is, that's what I'm wondering. Is there mm-hmm. so this is the first time, but first time kayaking, kayaking is included is in winter it. sports in the district. Yeah. So they because have other winter sports, but it's not necessarily a. So it's just they're talking about winter sports, but this now it's kayaking. Yeah, included. I think it's just, the the main thing is just to try to encourage people to get out there yeah. and and do stuff, right? So. I mean, on one part, it's getting people out there doing stuff. It's new hobbies. But on the other side, with tourism and all that, brings people in, makes money for the area, that whole sort of deal, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it's cool that they're 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 starting to get into this and hopefully encourage it and bring more people over. And if it becomes popular, then that's when the big guys come over and start going, "Oh, something's going on over there." Let's get Red Bull over here. So it's called World Ice Skating Day. Mm-hmm. And it's in coordination with the MHL Ice Skating Association. It's these activities of kayaking, snow skiing, ice skating, and other sports are now are being organized at at Sisu on World Ice Skating Day. Yeah, neat. Hmm. Cool. You got to go. Oh no! Wait, we know what you're like on skates. <laughs> well, I could do the kayaking. Yeah. See, go kayaking. Mm-hmm. Seventy-five kilometers. It's doable. As long as it's downstream. <laughs> <laughs> Works with gravity, buddy. Follow the gravity. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah. never go wrong. <laughs> uh, again, this one I came across and I looked at it like, I'm going to definitely have to Google that one. How do I say that? <laughs> L-O-U-G-H. And I should... I, I, I'm sure I must have come across it before, but I would never have been able to pronounce it the way it's supposed to be pronounced. Followed by G-U-R. Yeah. So is it Lofger? I would have said Lof. Lof? Lofger. 
No, you'd be wrong. Yes, very wrong. So Michael Guilfoyle of the Irish Times wrote an article discovering magical, mystical Loch Gur by kayak. Loch Gur. Loch. Loch Like Loch Loman, Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Loch, L-O-U-G. I don't think I've ever seen it spelled that way. But he wrote this article because they went. The lake and surrounding landscape has inspired antiquarians, folklorists. Like a historian, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Archaeologists, natural historians, geologists, poets, and writers. People that like old things, Derek. Well, you know, so the lake and surrounding it's a landscape, so it's inspired these people. So that sounds like, you know, Northern Ontario, Group of Seven inspirations, right? Yeah. But in but Ireland. In, but in Ireland. But in Ireland. A recent visit to Loch Gur in South County Limerick, so that's easy enough to find. There you go. Prompted the question in my mind, where is Loch Gur and what is so special about it? I idly Googled, I like him already, it up and popped the an invitation to the Loch Gur experience, a two-hour guided sit-on kayak trip through the loch, costing 40 euro. Oh. Uh, and so the next day I set out from Dublin, which you know where that is, arrived to a place of still skies, hushed limestone hills, and calm silver waters. By 9.30 p.m. the same evening, I was back on the road to Dublin, my head spinning with the beauty of the place and its wonderful stories of myth, magic, and archaeology, wondering why I had come so late to my life to Lark, Loch Gur. Mm-hmm. So, if you take pictures of it, I mean, all you got to do is get the mental image of what uh, Ireland looks like, right? Yes. And then yeah. throw in a nice lake in there and kayak, and then you do this two-hour kayak tour with someone telling you the history and myths and folklore and yeah. archaeology and yeah. what's been found around the area and stuff like that. That's quite the, be quite the day. It would be. So it kind of brings back, I guess because it's fresh in my mind, but uh, Kevin Callan's trip to... Uh, oh, Wales. Yeah, yeah, Wales. Yeah. So it'd be a lot of the same scenery and, you know... But the cleaner. <laughs> but cleaner. Yeah. And there wouldn't be um, a haggis. There'd be leprechauns. <laughs> yes. And shillelaghs. <laughs> Our ancestors were too late. Uh, were late to in coming to Loch Gur. It is long life, more than twelve thousand years. The loch was a lonely and forlorn place for many thousands of summers and winters. It was visited only by bears and wolves and deer, and the slowly col- colonizing flora that found favor in around the hills and shores. Then, 6,000 years ago, wandering bands of hunter-gatherers and the Mesolithic period arrived gazed upon the lake and made it home at least for a little while. Neolithic pastoralists, pastoralists? Pastoralists. Pastoralists? Yeah, okay. Came afterwards, and like I say, there's big words here, dude. Big words. <laughs> this is the theme of this week's show. They came afterwards and they liked it enough to stay. The resources of the lock shores and hillsides were cut and gathered and bound to fabricate long-lasting dwellings and stockades. And from then on, people coexisted intimately with the loch, some utilizing its waters and surrounding hilltops for security and defense. So it became populated 6,000 years ago. 
It was not always idyllic, no co- no doubt conflict and tribal warfare and the explo- exploitation and deep religious differences and times of hunger would have punctuated the lives of people who lived around Lutger's shores and hills, but we know nothing of these happenings. The evidence on the ground is the generation uh, of generations of Stone Age people who lived, loved, and labored there and took the time to write their stony signatures into the Lotger landscape. The most amazing and evocative of mysterious of these is the stone circle of Grange near the Loch's western shore. Mm-hmm. A pastoralist yeah. is a sheep or cow farmer. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Neolithic pastoralists. So Those are old guys. Yeah, so they're basically they're raising sheep and cows. All right, and that's why they would have started settling there. Yeah. See, not only do we give you big names, but we give you an education. <laughs> we give you some learning. <laughs> We're going to give you some learning. Uh, Brian Colopy, a guide with the Lotger Development Group, told these stories to our group of eight kayakers as we paddled, listening to his every word. He picked up on the more modern myths of the place, those that he could access from his studies of surviving folklore. He entertained and enthralled us with stories of fairies and St. Patrick and a multitude of mythical personages, mainly female as the Celtic tradition, and of magical events, all inspired by the watery Celtic spirituality of the place. Every hill he told us, every promontory, every woodland, every seemingly random heap of stones has a story to tell. He told us of the greenlit caves, Tir Nanog, the Vikings, the Normans, the Fianna, uh, ancient roadways or ceremonial avenues, early Christian worship, and the mystery that permeates rock and stone and water. And for us, mainly novice kayakers, the water became a calming, almost ethereal medium through which our imaginations connected us with the stories told to us. That'd be cool, though. You can you can hear the uh, the journalist and writer coming out in his words. Right? Yeah, yeah he's painting a picture for sure. But yeah, I mean, when, if you're going by what he's telling you, mm. that'd be cool to just go there for a few hours and talk to this guy and he's pointing stuff out and yeah. telling you, especially the, if you're into the, um, the myths and the legend, especially yes. Celtic oh, yeah, yeah, legends yeah. and myths and, yeah. you know, pagan histories and stuff like that. If you're right into all of that, like this sounds like the perfect place to go. Oh yeah. And doing it from a kayak. <laughs> I know. So uh, now, now we have to go to Wales. We have to go to Loch Gur. Yeah. Then we got to go head on down over to India. Then we got to... <laughs> <laughs> World tour. All right. Need to win the lotto. We were certainly not the first to be enthralled and enraptured by the myth and mysteries of Loch Gur. Since the 17th century, the lake and surrounding landscape has inspired antiquarians, folklorists, archaeologists, natural historians, geologists, poets, and writers, as we said. There's also a visitor center with a two-hour tour available from one of the 10 Lotger guides, a place that mixes science and myth and education and fun and will richly reward a visit with all the family. I'm not taking my family. I'm going myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to find more information, Lotger.com, L-O-U-G-H, G-U-R dot com. I'll tell you more about stuff. There, you'll see pictures and stuff, and it's it, it's a beautiful looking place. But yeah, if you can go there and just that, that history, the 
like I say, for me, it would be the, the whole folklore, yeah. you know, aspect to it and, and whatnot. That would be, that'd be really cool. Be on a nice little thing like that. Very cool. It's a, it's a rather large lake. Yeah. Or a lock. Lock. Lock lake. But that's, that's our word for today. So now you know if, <laughs> if you see L-O-G-H. Are you tough or you talk? <laughs> and pastoralists. 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 Mm-hmm. Ariana's playing this game, Assassin's Creed. And uh, there's a few words in there, Italian words, that almost sound the same as that. And I always think, oh, that's got to be said with an Italian accent. <laughs> uh, episode 311 was a while back. We talked about What's this one, Operation Frankton. Three fifty-five is yeah. today. So episode three one one is being talked about in episode three five five. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Operation Frankton, about a group of um, the, the co- oh, yes, code yes, name yes, Operation yes, yes. Frankton. Yep. Ten Marines from the UK set out in kayaks to paddle up the Gironde River in France to attack Nazi ships near Bordeaux in 1942. Go back and listen to, to episode 311 um, to get the whole story of what happened and stuff like that. It's, it's quite amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. So a group of former Royal Marines are aiming to recreate one of the most daring raids of World War II, uh, codenamed Operation Frankton. While only two survived, the mission was a success and they became known as the Cockle Shell Heroes. Now, each of the, the, the boats they used gave a different name. Um, they were like, um, marine name. Oh, okay. if, If you remember that. The Cockleshell 22 project sees 10 former Marines kayak the same route to mark the 80th anniversary of the raid. The Marines' mission was so daring and dramatic it was immortalized in the 1955 film The Cockleshell Heroes. The Operation Frankton plan was to canoe almost 100 miles behind enemy lines to blow up a fleet of German ships moored at the port of Bordeaux in occupied France. Five were mined and badly damaged, but only two of the 10 men uh, Ten-man team survived. Its significance reportedly led Winston Churchill to say he believed the raid could have shortened the war by six months. Wow. Which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, six months when you're talking about... You How know, many lives can be saved by shortening the war, yeah. Yeah. The ten former Marines intended to retrace the route... Uh, sorry, intend to, retra- to retrace the route, kayaking up the Gironde estuary at night... Uh, which is how they did it. Um, then they planned to walk the same 100-mile route the survivors used to escape. The group will be using similar collapsible kayaks to the Cockleshell heroes themselves and have been training in the run-up to the challenge. Speaking at a launch event in Portsmouth, where training for the original mission was carried out, retired Royal Marine Commando Ben Mason said it would be pretty tough. He says, for me, this has been about an adventure, but also to pay our respects and follow in the footsteps of these guys. We're trying to recreate it as accurately as we can, following the course they paddled 80 years to the day. Uh, Sarah Holmes, 
whose great-uncle, Corporal George Sheard, was one of those who drowned, said the challenge would keep their memory going. It's lovely we remember him and the people are inspired by what he did, she says. It's going to be pretty cold out there and they'll really feel the weather, so when they first get into the river, they'll know it. And it's it's in December too, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's kind of kind of chilly. As well as taking part in commemorations in Bordeaux, the team are also fundraising for the Royal British Legion, the Royal Marines Charity, and Help for Heroes. They're aiming to have the challenge completed by 18th of December, so just before Christmas. The Royal Marine Commandos trained around Portsmouth for four months ahead of their secret mission in December 1942. At the end of November, 12 set off from Portsmouth uh, on Royal Navy submarine HMS Tuna. Now, if I'm not mistaken, one of the boats was damaged. That's why there's 10. Which is why 10 went instead of 12. Yeah, so 12 12 prepared for this mission and and one one of the, uh, they were offloading off the... Off the sub. Yeah, uh, damaged one. Uh, They were only given the details of their highly dangerous mission once on board. Their target was a fleet of about 25 ships that were shipping essential materials such as oil and natural rubber that they needed for the Nazi war effort. On the 7th of December, 10 Marines were launched near the mouth of the Gironde River in five two-man canoes. Just two crews made it almost 100 miles to the port, canoeing solely by night and resting by day. Uh, to plant mines on the enemy ships, five were badly damaged in the raid. Only two men survived the mission, Major Herbert Blondie Hassler and Corporal Bill Sparks. So the 12 that went, two couldn't go because mm-hmm. of their boat. And the 10 that actually did it, a couple drowned on the route in. A um, couple, I think they were discovered, if I'm not mistaken, on their way up the river. Yeah. Two canoes of four guys. So yeah. So if I remember correctly, they had when they got to the port where all the boats were. One canoe went over one side. One canoe went over to the other side, and they started mining because they had to mine them, set the timers, and they get out of there. Yeah. Before they went on, it was a very rough timer. It was a. Yeah. It was a, not a candle timer, but it was like a like a burning whip type timer. So they they had to be out of there. Mm-hmm. Plant them and get out of there. Yeah. And then I can't remember what happened to the two of the guys, but the other two actually, because they had to go through France, Spain, Portugal, where they would be taken mm. back to England, yeah. right? Yeah. Episode 311 was a long time ago. <laughs> yes. So yeah. so they're going to tr- attempt this. Uh, it'd be, I They don't say anything about, are they going to take them over in a sub? And, and launch them the same way they did, or they just take them over in a boat. Yeah. it doesn't need to be secret now, right? But at that time of year, paddling all night, mm-hmm. sleeping during the day. I got to yeah. think they're going to try to keep it as original as possible. I imagine, yeah. You know, because, I mean, these guys were uh, under hidden under tree branches and stuff on their side of the river in the canoe. Yeah. Sleeping during the day. And then at night would get back out on the river. And there was guard, or, or, troop... Uh, patrols that would walk by along the river so they'd have to stop paddling until they passed. There was boats coming up and down, smaller boats, so they'd have to be careful not to be caught. Hide in the dark. Right, hiding in the dark and stuff like that. And uh, It it was no easy, easy thing to do. So It was amazing that they were successful in the first place just because of the difficulty of the mission. Yeah. So, and yeah, out of of the 10 that went, only two, two survived. 
So hopefully it uh, is a complete success and brings um, brings some uh, shed some light on the memory of of those who uh, who did it. Who did it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you sent me this one. I thought this was interesting. It's one of those things. It is. So it's uh, now I always bring too many extra things, but uh, some people charcuterie have board. <laughs> no, I've never done that. <laughs> Charcuterie board's not extra. No, because you you don't need a charcuterie board because you have a paddle. Charcuterie paddle. Paddle (laughs) is a security charcuterie board. A security board. Charcuterie board. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I I just came across this. I think it was uh, outside online or something. Mm -hmm. So they they interviewed a bunch of guides at uh, Blackfeather. Yeah, so yeah, this is all on the Blackfeather website. So they're, they're talking about when you register for a trip and they give you a recommended gear list. Yeah. And so it's very good. These guys know what they're doing. And it's a really good idea to stick to your gear list that they recommend. Well, it's tailored to for whatever success. trip you're taking, yeah, right? exactly. So yeah. it'll it'll ensure or mostly ensure your comfort and success, right? And your enjoyment. <clears throat> Anyways, they, uh, they went and asked a bunch of the guides. So... What kind of, uh, here's a, there's that standard gear list, but what things do you bring that's not, you know, it's, it's think of it as an underrated piece of equipment that you do bring. That, yeah, I think yeah. when people go, I mean, everybody has their stand. This is what yeah. everybody, you bring your tent, yeah. you bring your your stove, you bring your whatever. Yeah. But there's always something. Like extra. if if I yeah. look in your pack, there's going to be something that I'd be looking at going like, why are you why bringing that? Why do you have that? And why you look did you bring and go, knitting why did needles? You bring, yeah. Why did, Derek, why did you bring a book? <laughs> I'm going to use my knitting needle and stab the bear while you take your book and beat him with it. <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody's got these few, few extra things. Over the years, I've developed a, uh, a basic checklist for camping just to make sure I don't forget stuff, right? Just yeah. oh, tick, 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 tick. And, uh, of course, there's always extra stuff. And it's, uh, you know, I always think to myself, it's a canoe. It can carry a lot of extra weight. And I only have to endure at the most one or two kilometer portage, you know, depending on where I'm going. It's usually like half a kilometer, 138 meters, whatever. So it's like I always bring a lot of extra stuff yeah. because I have room and the canoe doesn't mind carrying it. Yeah. But but if you're on an expedition like Blackfeather does, it's like, yeah, you kind of want to avoid a lot of the extra stuff unless it's like a luxury item. Everybody can bring one luxury item. So, anyways, so they asked their uh, their guide. So, on the, your trips, what what item did you bring that you consider a luxury item? That's uh, you know basically an underrated piece of gear. So, Steph, she says rubber boots, and I thought, oh, that's you know, I like in the fall. I always bring mm-hmm. rubber boots in the fall. It's like it's a necessi- necessity. You don't yeah. want to you know when the water's near you know if it's plus two <laughs> plus two degrees, it's getting really cold. You don't want to be getting your feet wet all the time, right? Yeah. Nice pair of rubber boots. So she brings rubber boots. It's uh, on any river trip. She talks about it. It's, you know, if you're not wearing your dry suit, if you're around camp, if you're doing whatever you're not and you're out of your dry suit, then you want to keep your feet dry. You're on camp, right? Mm-hmm. So it's there's always extra rain in the fall and stuff. So she says, I'm bringing rubber boots. Yeah, and they, they even, a lot of the cases when they talk about their extra thing is uh, they talk, they actually give brands and stuff like that. So... So I thought that was interesting. It's uh, but that's a for me. So for them, this is you're talking river trips, expeditions. But uh, for me, it's like in the fall, I'll bring rubber boots. Definitely. You know, that's we used to always bring 
rubber boots. Because, I mean, in the summer, you, you got the, the paddle shoes, right? Yep, yep. You know, like the Keens or the Solomons or yeah. whatever, Crocs. Something that's going to dry quick. You don't care yeah. if your feet get wet. But in that, we always, yeah, when it started getting cooler, we always switched up into the rubber boots. Um, you know, like, yeah, and she, she gives a, an example. Like, you wake up in the morning and it's raining. Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to put your dry suit on. No, no. Right? Because you're going down on the side of the lake or river mm-hmm. or whatever, and chances are you, you're going to have to step in. Yes. To get that water, Scoop right? some water, do whatever. Yeah. And so it's too maybe too awkward to just reach out. You might fall in. It's like, oh, you know what? Comfort. Yeah, so you're not, you're not putting your dry suit on just to get water. No, no. Or middle you, of the night for for a bathroom break in the middle of the night. It's like. Yeah. yeah, And, and you're not going to, you know, if, if you got a pair of Gore-Tex hiking shoes or something like that, that you don't want to get wet. Yeah. Right? Sort of deal. Then you're not wanting to put those on. Mm-hmm. So the rubber boots are a perfect option. Exactly. Like first thing in the morning, you're running around camp, break down camp, uh, put, you know, tucking away the tarp in the tent and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So do you really want to be putting on your dry suit? You want to keep comfortable, keep your feet dry, stay warm as possible. So oh, rubber boots. Rubber boots. Find yourself a nice lightweight pair to bring so you don't, but you know what? The canoe doesn't mind carrying the extra weight. Yeah. The the second one here, I've actually do the same deal. In Winter. Yes. Yeah. In winter, shoulder season. So, yeah. So, Dana, she says she brings down booties. So, I, well, I am I brought my down slippers here because Sean's studio is so cold. So, I'm wearing down slippers right now. I bring they look like me. one of those puffer jackets. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. a black puffer jacket like that. Yeah. So, you put the puffer jacket on and those, if you get a pair of pants like that, you'd be styling, bro. <laughs> I, so, <laughs> When me and the boys, when we did the White Mountains and stuff, we stopped at a uh, at an outfitter, and so we're looking at all these weird, fantastic mountaineering equipment, like the the full uh, mountaineering skidoo suit type thing. And so we came across a couple pair of down pants, and it's like they just looked weird. But it's like the whole time we're going, it looks weird, but. Oh, I bet that would be comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Warm legs. But I would be so comfortable <laughs> looking like a freak. Yeah. All right. Call me freaky. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So you, you, you can't really go wrong with down. Yeah. Yeah. I got the, I got a mech pair. I've had those for yeah. ages. I don't even know what these are. And they slip on and off really quickly. So for a quick pee break in the middle of the night, you don't want to be looking for a pair of shoes. Yeah. To run up into the woods and have a pee. Yeah. And these are perfect. Yeah. Keep my toes toasty warm here. She uses a pair of, she called polar feet for around camp and they're synthetic. Yeah. And then she has my sacred socks, sleeping bag socks. Yes. A pair of down booties from feather to friends with removable covers so I can protect them from the elements if I need to go back outside without taking them off my feet. There you go. See, and I'm like, my tent is like my house. Mm-hmm. When you go in the front door, take your shoes off. Yes, absolutely. Right? You don't yeah. be wearing shoes in the tent. Yeah. That's but she's slipping on a pair of covers over yeah. her down booties to go outside, pulling the covers off. So she doesn't, she doesn't want to get the down booties wet. She doesn't want to track mud into the tent. That's, that's brilliant. Oh, and you want to get out of the tent in the middle of the night. You're trying to sit there and you're all cramped a bit from the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to put a pair of shoes on. Yeah. 
No. That's where, yeah, you don't want to be That's asking. That's when you're like, okay, I've just beat myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> or, or you ask your tent mate, hey, can you do me a favor and put my boots on yeah. for me? <laughs> I've fallen and I can't My back's up. killing me and I can't bend over. Yeah. <laughs> so she mentions a sleeping bag socks. Yeah. And that's the same thing that... Shana, 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 Shana mentions she brings sleeping socks. See, I do too. In this, in the shoulder seasons, yeah. Well, it's not just so. There's a couple reasons. Like I always have a pair in the shoulder seasons, like a a pair of nice, warm, clean socks, so mm-hmm. that I have something clean to put on my feet to sleep in, and it keeps my toes, my tootsies warm because it, it's like it's just bare feet in the sleeping bag. It's uh, it's not that great. I don't. No, think. I got a pair of heavy. I call them heavy socks. They're yeah. not heavy weight-wise, but mm-hmm. I've just always known them as heavy socks. Um, that I keep in my bag, and then yeah. when I go to bed, these are on my feet. Yeah. I yeah. don't wear them anywhere else. I don't wear them in my shoes. I don't. Mm-hmm. They're strictly for sleeping. Yeah. And that way, in the shoulder season, you know, your feet are, yeah, they're nice and toasty, warm. Exactly. As long as your yeah. feet are warm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and actually that's what, what Shana says. So I love having a pair of socks that I only ever use for sleeping. I know they'll always be warm, fuzzy, and dry. I pack them away with my sleeping bag every morning. They take up a bit more space than your regular pair, but it's always worth it. Gear list usually includes wool socks and doesn't have a separate sock section. So it's not something you'd typically exactly. think to add, yeah. which is, yeah, I, I just throw in that extra pair of sock and that's all it's for is yeah. sleeping it's perfect mm-hmm. yeah it's brilliant so the next thing so this i don't know is it was it johnny or was it grant i think it was grant so he's got one of these so it's a butt pad and and grant he's uh, it's like a chopped up piece of uh foam sleeping pad that uh is just beat all to heck but he puts it on his chair he mm-hmm. sits on it on the ground and it's just one of those things that's always in the pack right i think it's grant i can't remember but anyway so it's uh so candace she said i love this piece of gear because it keeps me comfortable and warm while sitting especially on damp tundra or cold rocks it's also super handy as a pillow for sleeping and to wrap around any gear in my pack that might need some extra cushioning like camera lens. So you just wrap the foam pad. It's a multi-purpose, right? You can yeah. you can kneel on it while you're doing dishes. You can uh, sit on rocks with it for extra padding. You can protect gear in your pack. It's like, oh, that's brilliant. So uh, it's, it's not much extra bulk, but it's a bit. So when we bought our first canoe back in the 90s mm-hmm. it was a big fiberglass freighter canoe yeah they didn't give us proper pfds like you'd think of now they gave us floating pads oh the square so pads. they're square so you could tie that on to you yeah and i i've How never that grasped that you? concept yeah right anyway so we we always use those to sit on so they have these long ties on them, yeah. and I tie that to my seat uh-huh. so I can sit on it. And you got a nice, comfortable seat all day. If I'm solo paddling, I'll throw that on the ground or like the bottom of the, the, the canoe, yeah. and I'll kneel on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got nice, yeah. comfy kneel. Mm-hmm. I can take it out, throw it on the ground, and sit yeah. when I'm at camp. It, it goes like everywhere. Yeah. And these things are about 30 years old now, <laughs> right? Uh, well, 25, 30 years. Yeah. 
and they've that's all they're used for is they're used for sitting. Yeah. But they tie and they're so lightweight. Like when yeah. you when you tie it onto the seat of your canoe and then you pour it, you don't even know it's there. Okay. Like if you take that off, mm-hmm. you notice absolutely no difference in weight yeah. in that boat. Yeah, it's like right? it's like quite oh. When we did the Trent Severin, uh, Michael, our uh, camera guy, yeah. when he was sitting in the front of the canoe, yeah. I gave him that, and he goes, oh, my God, this is so much better. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, it saves your butt. Yeah. It really does if you're yeah. doing long days for, like, weeks at a time. It's so perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I got to go with Candace. You got to have that butt pad. Mm-hmm. Next one is Hannah. So she likes the camp chair, and it just – you know, for years and years and years, it's like camp chair. Why do we need a camp chair? I'll sit on a rock. I'll sit on a stump mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Because at back when I first started paddling, it's like you had one of these folding metal chairs with canvas on it. It's like, oh, yeah, one of the big chairs. into backcountry. Yeah. And then out came the tripod chairs. The little helionoxes and. Like the little tripod ones. Like you just. The oh, Coleman's, right, right, like right, the right. Yeah. and stuff. And, and so you'd sit on it, but they ended up being quite uncomfortable because it cuts off circulation on your butt and so it's like i'm not buying a chair and then these helinox chairs first came out it's like i am not spending 150 bucks on one of these stupid chairs and then a buddy of mine i went on a trip with him and now you got five of them he brought two of them (laughs) with him and uh and say i'll bring my spare chair for you it's like yeah whatever i don't need it i sat on it and it's like instant luxury like, what a difference. It's like, oh, so this is what I've been missing. I've been stubborn for no reason, and this Helinox chair is fantastic. I will start this by saying we have two, and Trace and I usually bring them. Yeah. But if I'm going solo, I tend just to bring the the butt pad. Yeah. I won't bring that extra weight mm-hmm. of that chair. I mean, because they are. I mean, they're metal yeah. chairs. They're smaller, but I, I'll leave that at home. Yeah. But when we're going out for a week, the two of us camping or something like that, and we know we're going to spend a couple of days here and then spend a couple of days, there, we'll bring those chairs because, they, yeah, they're a bit yeah. more comfy. I've got four Heliox chairs. I've got two, I don't know what they are. They're an off-brand. I got them at Agonquin Outfitters. They're a heavier one. Uh, they're steel instead of aluminum, but they're the kids' chairs. Then I got two high-back reclining uh, Eureka chairs. Eureka? Yeah, Eureka yeah. chairs. So I've got eight eight chairs. We were looking now. at those high back ones. I'm thinking, no, that's just more weight. <laughs> I don't need that. Well, I, the, it's car camping chair. Yeah. Me. Oh, it definitely yeah. have to be a car You can sleep chair. in these chairs. Yeah. They're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? The, the Heliogs, I looked at those and said the same thing. I am not spending, because I think they were like 180 bucks after taxes and everything. Yeah. And it's like, I am not spending close to $200 yeah, for I know, a right? dumb chair. I got my first set. On sale for like 105 or something. Yeah, we bought knockoffs for 75 Yeah, well, yeah. So my knockoffs I got were 50 bucks each or 45 Yeah. Then the next set of Heliox I bought used from somebody for like 35 bucks a piece. And then the Eurekas were like, I don't know, they were like, I don't know what they were, like 50 Yeah, I used to, like I said, well, I used to bring the big folding chairs, right? Yeah. The big folding yeah. ones that when I would take my barrel... I would strap that to the top. Oh, okay. And yeah, then yeah. portage. Yeah. And then when I came back for the canoe, I had a pack on plus the canoe because with that um, chair, you couldn't, you're automatically double portage. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. At that point. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, once the smaller chairs came out, it was like. 
lightweight. They stick inside the pack. And, yeah. No weight to them. Yeah. 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 What a so, difference. Yeah. Eat. Chair. I could do without the chair. There was a point where it's like, no, I got to have my chair. Mm-hmm. But over the time, this became, yeah, I got the butt pad. I can just sit there. Yeah, exactly. L- lean up against a tree on the butt yeah. pad. Keep the keep the dampness out of your butt. The only thing with that is if you are like Algonquin Park, uh, Tomogamy, stuff like that, a lot of pine. Yeah, you're sticky. And then you're sitting yeah. there and you, what's on the back of your jacket? Oh, <laughs> uh, I was camping and I had my butt bad and I was leaning up against a tree. Yeah, yeah. It was a pine tree. So all that's pine sap. Yeah. <laughs> all the pine tar down your back. Yeah. Awesome. And of, of the list, I think Steph, Dana, Shana, Candace, Hannah. So the last one is the only guy that they asked for what his well, luxury item. If you read the full article... They said, we sent out this survey question yes. to all employees. Yeah. And this is the group that answered. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that part. <laughs> yeah. So only six people answered. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, this was Mike. He uh, brings an overbag. So it's one of those, uh, so over the sleeping bag bags. Mm-hmm. So it's a thin, synthetically insulated bag that goes over your sleeping bag. It adds a, a degree of uh, of protection for cold weather. Uh, so no specific brand is recommended, although his is an old MEC amulet overbag plus 15 degree. Sadly, MEC doesn't offer it anymore, but other brands exist too. So it's super useful. can be used on its own as a super light sleeping bag. So on really warm summer nights, just going to use the overbag. Mm-hmm. Or it can add a couple of degrees rating to any sleeping bag. It also helps to keep his sleeping bag clean and dry so you're not, it's not on the ground or whatever. And uh, this is in addition to its stated purpose of keeping my sleeping bag the down dryer by moving the dew point of perspiration out of the feathers and into the overbag thinsulate. And see, I've got the sleeping bag liner. Same sort of deal, but it goes on the inside. Inside, I know. I've had... I've I got. Had, I, I bought one of those a couple yeah. of years ago and used it for a full season. Yeah. And if you were claustrophobic... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're... Oh. Because there's a couple of times where I woke up and it had twisted. Yeah. And I couldn't move my arms. Oh. And you're like on a solo trip. That's like I'm a goner. <laughs> I'm I'm about to panic here, and then you realize because you're half asleep, right? Yeah. And then you realize, oh no, wait a minute, and then you can get one arm. Wiggle okay, out. one arm's out. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I can I can defend yeah. myself against that grizzly bear <laughs> with one arm. <laughs> I've tried two of the inner liners before. So the first one I bought was it was more of a nylon, so it just felt horrible on the skin right oh yeah and uh so i thought okay well i bought the wrong fabric so then i bought a silk liner used it once and i just i just never took to it i never liked them it's like yeah i guess the liner thing's not for me it might help protect the bag and push the uh the dew point further out into the outside part of the sleep bag so you're not collecting a lot of dew into the either the down or synthetic fibers but i just found them uncomfortable i never got used to them i the thing for me is that it's like a potato sack. You bring it all the way up. Yeah. There's no zipper. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, I, I've, I've tried the biggest ones. Yeah. And they're not big. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're meant to go inside your sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. So you're really cramped. And I'm, I'm at the verge, because I didn't, I haven't used it after that one season, but I'm, I'm sort of on the verge of thinking, 
of slicing it down one side. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's lightweight. It packs down yeah. small, right? And that way I can still use it on the inside as a sort of an inner blanket sort mm-hmm. of thing to add those. Because I think it adds 15 degrees to my sleeping bag. Okay. Right? So I can use that mm-hmm. inside my sleeping bag late shoulder season yeah. sort of thing. But instead of having, you know, being constricted, it is open. I can use it sort of more yeah. as, a, as a blanket than... Now, I've heard also one of the benefits of these inner liners too is, uh, so if you've gone out and bought yourself a high-end sleep bag and you want to protect it from getting dirty and so like every time you wash a sleeping bag, you're destroying some of the, uh, some of the, the, uh, warmth and protection, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, so you buy a silk liner. It, it does help a little bit changing the, the temperature rating, but not much with a silk liner. Silk liner is basically to stop you from contaminating your sleeping bag with. So your stinky body doesn't yeah, get Your on stinky it. body and your oils are, you're protecting your sleeping bag from yourself. Whether you're in, you know, if you're in one of these, you know, further north expeditions where you're getting dirty and you don't have that many clean clothes to wear as to sleep at night. So you're protecting your expensive sleeping bag and, and, uh, from oils and dirt, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it is handy that way. And silk is comfortable against the skin, but, uh, I just find it restrictive. Yeah. Constr- constrictive. That was my big takeaway from, from the liner. Mm-hmm. Was, it was just too. So I'd be thinking the one on the outside, like Mike is talking about. Yeah. That would constrict you just as much. Yeah, yeah. And ha- I, I don't know. Yeah. Does that have a zipper or something? Because what yeah, happens in the middle so- of the night? You've got to get out and pee really quickly. Yeah, I've seen them like they, they there's like people call them bivvies or just an outer sack and stuff like that. So like I've seen some bivvies where the bivy is your tent. Mm-hmm. So the, the it tents up. Oh yeah, your the bivy sacks. Yeah, yeah. So they also help uh, add a temperature rating to your sleeping bag. Plus, you don't basically you don't have a tent. You're just sleeping in this bivy. Yeah. So th- those are handy that way. It does multiple. It, it really depends on the kind of camping you're going to do. I, I've thought about a bivy before, but that no, you know what? I like having my you know bringing some of my clothes in and laying them out so they can dry for the next day. Yeah, and, the bivy's too. It, like, I mean, I had my Spitfire Solo. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was, uh, I think, about the width of a bivy. Yeah. But it had a higher ceiling. Okay. So I could sit up in this thing. Yeah, you could sit, exactly. Right? But a bivy, yeah. you're crawling in like. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like a coffin. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sleeping in that because I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I'm panicking. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> And the bear comes along, oh, burrito served All right. up. <laughs> a Derek burrito. Yep, yep. He can't run away from me. He can't even get out of it. <laughs> uh, how's this for, I'm just going to paddle across the lake to get away from that bear now, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, everybody's got, uh, you know, a specialty item they like to bring with yeah. them. And- and that's these are like like you say the the guides from Blackfeather yeah. expeditions there that uh, um, came up with this list of these are some of the things that we take that aren't always on the list. Mm-hmm. So so yeah so that was a list of six things and I pretty much bring all six except for the the uh, sleep bag liner. I don't bring the sleeping bag liner or outside the butt pad I bring the camp chair I will bring yep. but I don't necessarily need the rubber boots. Um, Depending on the season, yeah. But you know fall. what, though, like a lot of times, I'm I'm just 
reaching anyway. But yeah, the rubber boots in the fall, definitely. Mm-hmm. Down booties, I don't always bring except usually that's, that's, that's become a winter camping thing for me now. Yeah. Down booties. And the sleeping socks I bring all the time, everywhere. Yeah. So they, sh- they just ought to add these to the list. Bring this stuff, people. <laughs> bring go. it. Bring it. You're going to need it. Because you ain't looking at me going, ooh, I wish I had a chair. Yeah, I bet you do wish. Are we an hour, 20 minutes? No, we're only an hour and 11, 12 okay. minutes. Why, you got somewhere to be? No, it's just people don't want to listen for too long. Ah. <laughs> they have, you know, you know how you go online and there's something you don't like? They say, scroll by it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Podcasts have this thing called a pause button. <laughs> you can so you can pause and finish listening to it later. <laughs> the, the, or you can fast forward. Well, that's one of the big things people say is, yeah, like I'll listen to half your show going into work in the morning and then I listen to the other half coming home at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Except Derek. Derek doesn't listen to the show. Yeah. Derek doesn't read books. Oh, I'm, st- I'm still waiting for feedback on dry suits. We got one response. Yeah, you got one response. Yeah. So I guess not too many people out there listening use uh, dry suits. Or they're all hoping that you don't get one and freeze <laughs> your butt off. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> freeze, Derek. Thanks, freeze. People. Thanks, people. Hypothermia, Derek. <laughs> get it. There we go. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? I do not. Really? Why not? I'm tapped out, man. Oh. It's like 1130. Is it really? I'm going to turn into a pumpkin soon. It's not 1130 yet. It's 1122. So that's not 1130. I round it up. <laughs> I round down. It's only 10. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, these beers we drank this evening. Yeah. With the last? That was it. You know what I have in that so fridge? So I got to restock. The only thing left in that fridge? Mm-hmm. Poppers. Oh. That's it. John. <laughs> so John Van Berger, we've been saving these beers. Well, Sean's been saving these beers for John. But nobody's been able to cross the borders recently, so... But yeah. it's starting to come up, people cross, so maybe we can get these down to him. Well, if he comes to Michigan. There you go. Or Canucopia. Yeah. Yeah. If they make it. <laughs> are you bringing anything across the border? Yeah, empty beer cans because, you know, <laughs> yes. eh, things happen. <laughs> they were travelers. <laughs> these are, what, six, eight months old now? Yeah. You should see if you can get some fresh ones. Well, if they come out. Like if, if they, mm-hmm. because they only make them like once a year, right? Yeah. And Christmas, the newest uh, season of Letter Kenny comes out. Oh, yeah. So I got to think new Letter uh, Puppers is going to come out. Maybe. And if so, I'll go pick up another six pack and we'll drink this one. There you go. But we won't tell John. We'll just drink this one and send him pictures. <laughs> so dude, you know what? That's all we had. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And just send him. And he'll never know because I don't think he listens to our podcast. I don't know. He's not been doing well. He's not. He's some health issues. Yeah, long COVID. Yeah, hopefully he gets over that because we want to see him again. Mm-hmm. But all righty. Well, that's all you got. That's all I got. Well, I'm not bringing up anything else then. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you want to find more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. And if you're there and you want to hit the old Paddling Adventures Radio store, click the big old button and see what we got there. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and fellow paddlers. 
I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs> 